Hi folks, and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. As usual, a little bit of housekeeping before we kick off. We are live in November in the Axis Theatre in Ballymun. Two nights, tickets are available right now on eventbrite.ie. Grab them now, come along, and you'll see many of your favourite Tortoise Shack faces and even some of the ones you don't like. Uh, we'll all be there, and it's part of the Ballymun Wellfest. Two great evenings, and, and the money will go back into the Ballymun Community Fund. Really hoping to see lots and lots of you there. Also, again, unfortunately, we have to ask you, our listeners, to pay it forward. We want to keep these podcasts free, and the way we do that is we rely on the people who throw us a couple of quid every month to pay it forward. It's patreon.com forward slash tortoise it helps us keep these mics on, it helps us keep having the conversations, and it actually helps us eat at this stage. It's pretty tight out there, and we know that. And I think one of the reasons people listen to us is they know that we explain some of the reasons why it's tight out there, and maybe the alternatives to it. So I think that has a value, and if you agree, patreon.com forward slash tortoise I won't take up any more of your time. Enjoy the podcast. <laughs> Welcome to Reboot Republic, the podcast that goes behind the headlines and looks at the big issues in this republic of inequality. We are the podcast of solutions and the podcast of hope, and I'm your host, Rory Hearn. I'm delighted to be joined back in the podcast by two great friends of the pod, Frank O'Connor and Jude Cherry from the Inish Agency, and people will know uh, Jude and Frank from the hashtag Derelict Ireland. Um, Incredible work they've been doing highlighting the issue of dereliction and vacancy um, Jude and Frank, you really must be heading into retirement now after that budget with the introduction of the vacant sites or the vacant property tax. Fantastic, isn't it? Absolutely. We're just over the moon. Yeah. Uh, well, it's it's great to see something's coming true. Ah, uh, no, no, we won't be we won't be overly uh, negative from the very start. It is no, we we need to start with that is a positive development. It is a Absolutely. significant thing. Absolutely. First time Ireland ever has a vacant property tax. Absolutely, especially the uh, negativity around it from revenue saying it wasn't an option. So it is brilliant to see that internally in the coalition that they have brought it in and they have fought the side of showing that we do need a vacancy tax, um, that we need to look at how we use our property, not just building more, but we actually need to look at how we're using the existing stock. So they have brought, there's been the vacancy tax and then also the Green Gronahan grant as well. So it's both carrot and stick, so it's brilliant to see they've taken both approaches to it. Yeah, and I suppose if you looked where we were maybe two years ago, three years ago, we are sort of moving in that sense in the right trajectory. I mean, yeah, the devil is in the detail, but at least it's out there now. And if, if it's something that we can work with as a starting basis, mm. that's a positive thing in itself, definitely. Yeah, and we will come on to talk about the detail because I think that is really important. And, you know, because... Um, you know, again, with all these measures, it, it is all about implementation. And um, as you guys, you know, have highlighted for so long, and we know, you know, we have a derelict sites register, we have the local authorities. Um, and so the question will be, how will this be effective in comparison to things like that? And what do we need to make them effective? But if we'll stick with the the positive for the moment, and, and not that that's not, you know, it's not negative to talk about, you know, how, how what do we need to do to make sure it's effective? It's just actually, how do we implement it and make it happen? Um, in terms of that, I think it is really interesting to, to to just consider the politics and the wider, I suppose, societal um, implications of a vacant property tax. Because you're right to say revenue were opposed to it. You know, there was signals very only up to like, you know, it was 
poo-pooed as an idea. You know, there was even talk the, the Department of Finance were saying this was going to have no real impact. Pascal Donahue saying that, you know, a vacant property taxes really wouldn't have an impact. But yet it was implemented. My analysis of that would be would be because, you know, the grassroots campaigning, the work to be done by yourselves and people across the country who are highlighting the dereliction um, and the highlighted myself and others and opposition party, uh, the work being done by Ali Harvey and others, like there's lots of work being done mm. um, and probably the census figures. I'd say the census figures showing that the huge level of vacancy continuing um, meant that there was a societal pressure that sort of left the government had to politically do it, even though they mightn't have wanted to do it. Definitely, definitely. And again, like you're right, there's a much bigger community uh, like we're new to Ireland really four years here now at this stage almost in terms of coming back. And from when we came back to where we are now, there's a far bigger community discussing these issues. Yeah. Much wider. And I think that's really positive. And I think the vacancy tax for me alone is that the fact that it's out there now, that it's yeah. being, you know, people are discussing in, in, in the newsprint and TV and podcasts and people are actually seeing that it has been introduced. So you're right, culturally, it's a big step. You know, it's a step that a lot of people would have rejected or gone against. But I think it's a positive step forward, definitely. Judy, yeah. you're, what's your sense? No, just on that, like in, in terms of it's definitely a step away from just seeing the market as is the solution to everything that the market has mm. does have to be regulated. So it is a step in 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 bringing our constitutional right to common good and social justice to the forefront as well. That that should uh, private property rights should be regulated by that social justice and common good. And the fake and pro- homes tax is an example of that being our constitution being upheld. Yeah, I suppose. And on a very simple basis, it's a recognition that, that there is a potential vacancy issue in Ireland. Yeah. You know, and really, I think even up to a year ago, that would have been cast aside. Yeah. 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 You know, I mean, if you like, when we started, it was very much a focus on direction. And then the vacancy stuff grew and grew because we moved more into that, you know, and I think kind of the whole hashtag vacant Ireland and all that area has grown and grown as well. So the fact that now it's there, people, yeah, yeah. can work with that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the like for us, the dereliction is visual. Everyone can see dereliction. Vacancy is much harder for us to see unless we yeah. live door to it. Yeah. So the things definitely the geo directory data, Ali, Ali Harvey's CTCHT program, um, the, the census data and the revenues uh, local property tax survey have all shown that vacancy exists and that it's it. Yeah, it's it. Can, yeah, it is a problem. Yeah. No, I think it is. And and, and again, it's, it's always difficult in these situations uh, to often celebrate, you know, small victories and, mm. you know, acknowledge wins. And I think it is really important that this this came about as a result of people power, as a result of, you know, your work you know, ideas, the work that people are doing, and it shows things can change. You know, when, when people get active and do things and yeah, and, and I suppose we're both firm believers that people have the power to change things. I suppose what we would like, and I suppose what you like as well, Rory, now is that, that this is a stepping stone to something else. Yeah. The people believe the change is possible because, yeah, you're right, we have to grab those small wins, you know. We have to remain hopeful that we can turn around this issue and provide homes for everyone 
we should be able to do that. We have a strong enough, you know, countries as a whole to do that. So I think, yeah, it's the step in that and, direction. And the fake at home tax wasn't a, a commitment in the programme for government as such. It was, and in the housing for all policy, it was only a commitment to look for look at one, not necessarily to bring it in. So they've gone yeah. beyond their commitments, which is, is yeah. good. Yes, yeah. stepping stone. And as far as when we wrote the article last week for the Examiner, I mean, they, they obviously edited something out, but and, and the bits they edited out, I'm not surprised because I wrote a bit about ideology and stuff. And yeah, you, you and what were you saying in that? Was just talking about that it kind of goes against the ideology of the of the current, we'll say like Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael. So for them to kind of go against their base, if you like, and and and, and their idea to tease that out a little bit, just to explain because I think it is really important. To acknowledge that and talk a little bit about that. What what do we mean by what is the ideology that they have that's different from this and how is it? Yeah, I suppose the way I suppose we, we talked about it really was uh, the market solves everything. And like you Jude already said, really by bringing in a vacant home tax, they are making that acknowledgement that the market doesn't solve everything. Yeah. And and like for them, it was probably a risky thing to do. Okay, the devil is in the detail, but if you look at it as something that's been deduced. It was a risky decision to make because our voters would, I suppose, in a way, vote for very much the idea that the market would solve everything as well. So for us, I suppose we wrote a bit about the ideology because we felt it was important to talk about it. Because, again, going back to cultural change and systems change and people having the power, I think that there is a lot to think about there is that, you know, that, that Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael would actually make that step in that direction. You know, so so like... I suppose, yeah, you're right. I, I'm glad you've kind of talked to try, try to drag out the positives, actually, because it's making me think, you know, and in more positive light about it, really, actually. Well, well, it's interesting because me and Tony had just, Tony was, uh, we talked about my book in, in a podcast there. Um, and Tony was asking me kind of one of the things that struck him out of the book was the point I make, which is that there's a value shift underway right now. Mm. And it's a bit like that's, the the common sense or the ideology of the people now is you know it it says that you know most people now acknowledge and understand the market doesn't work around housing development land to you know ensure proper use of buildings and the vacancy and dereliction is the one of the most and the dereliction being one of the most obvious and one in people's faces and it has been sort of the political lightning rod all the way back to Apollo House in 2016. Mm-hmm. You know, it was that vacant building there. It was the taking over it while there was people homeless, the Mountjoy Square occupations, you know, activism. There's a lot of activism because people feel they could see that building literally, you know, sitting there empty yeah. while there are people who have no homes, a generation locked out of homes. And so I think the the, the common sort of thinking amongst most Irish people now is that, you know, this is no longer acceptable. And politics is having to follow that, irrespective yeah. of what they think themselves. I, I think so. And like I suppose one of the things that we have found with our, with our work over the last few years is, and it's kind of pleased me particularly a lot coming from rural Ireland, is that we've had a lot more buy-in yeah. from Ireland than we expected. Yeah. The people I know through family connections and all that kind are kind of coming up who would normally not talk in this particular way yeah. are beginning to see it. And I think that shows that it's everyone, all your work and all the different people who work in this field are actually reaching much further out, you know. And again, I think the Vacant Home Sacks is almost a recognition of that. Like we've had, again, through kind of family connections in rural Ireland, we've had no negativity about the Vacant Home Sacks. Yeah, yeah. And I noticed that, like I have uh, family as well who live in rural Ireland and, you know, 
they, they are there. And, and I was struck as well by over the last year, them talking and pointing to, you know, vacant, derelict homes around the countryside and them saying that's not right. And you're absolutely like that is a cultural, yeah. you know, as I talk about it, it's a cultural revolution of sorts. Yeah. Rural Ireland would say a vacant uh, property tax is a good thing, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like besides the social media campaign, because not everyone would be on Twitter, I think yeah. the COVID when we were restricted to, to two kilometers and five kilometers or our local areas, that people did start to look up around them and mm. notice those things as well. And I think because it is so, especially dereliction is so obvious, you can't hide from it anymore. And mm. we've had so many people point out to us that or <laughs> annoyed with us that now that they can't stop hmm. seeing it. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. Once you once Everyone. your eyes are open to it, you can't. Like I, I was cursing you as well when I can't remember some town I was going through during the country. I, I, I tweeted it. Uh, oh, it might have been Carrick and Shore or another one because I go up and down the country and or it was probably some town in Galway, Ballinasloe maybe or somewhere like that. And all I could see was these derelict buildings. And it's like, you know, I, I would have seen it before, but no, part of your work has absolutely drawn me to see it more as well. Um, and absolutely, once you see it, once you can't unsee it. But the other thing I think as well is it is a reflection as well of the scale of the housing crisis. Yes. That if there is not a, a person in the country, um, aside from whatever, even the top one, but whatever, aren't touched by it. Yeah, that, um, you know, in rural Ireland, people can't get homes. You know, in every town, in every village, they can't get a home. And so therefore, yeah. it's it's that as well, I think. No, totally. And I suppose, sorry, I was, yeah, just, just kind of there. Yeah, we're seeing it at the moment. You're probably seeing it with your university and stuff, but we're seeing it through the students. And the students come from all over Ireland, yeah. Minuta, they go to Dublin or whatever, and they can get accommodation, you know. And I think that the rural Ireland families are also graduating and they're suddenly going to Cork or Dublin to fill their first job and they can get accommodation. Yeah. So you're right. It's, it's touching everyone. And I suppose, in a way, what we've been pushing for a lot, and I know you have as well, is trying to challenge that's the way things are, you know, this culture of accepting everything. Mm. It's mm. always been that way, and you do the same yourself, all those kind of annoying sayings. But I think what this is definitely doing, again, from our feedback in rural Ireland, is that people are going, yeah, they're actually talking about it, saying, why do we always say that? And maybe it can change. And there was this general acceptance that this was a trajectory we could never change, you know. Yeah. And I suppose I'm actually enjoying this conversation because it's kind of giving me a bit more hope as well. <laughs> is that, yes, there's probably more happening than we realize in a way. Oh, oh there is. I, I think momentum so as well. Gross. You're so gross in yourself. I mean, like you, we kind of live and breathe this every day. And it's kind mm. of our day is about how can we do something to make a difference today? And no, no. So that's so. I suppose summarizing it, that it is a step forward. I mean, perhaps we should go into the detail, but it is yeah. a step forward culturally, and that's yeah. a good thing. And and um, and I suppose the implications of what's happening at the moment, we probably won't understand fully for until the next couple of years. You know, yeah. will, will this disrupt something else? Will something else come out of this as a result? You know, I think it's and, and the other side is is as well that the question of climate change, of course, I think that is the other angle that has actually uh, propelled this forward as well. The, the the broad acceptance that, you know, the most sustainable green home is the one already built and the yeah. fact that the infrastructure is there, the fact that, you know, the, the most sustainable way forward is to use our existing buildings. And that's another angle, I think, as well on this that has yeah. pressured it and brought it in. Definitely. We we did um like the kind of opening talk for the UCC Architectural Student Society a week ago. And um 
It was really interesting, wasn't it, Jude? Because we did our talk and expected to have a few questions and then walk out the door. An hour later, they were still asking questions and still trying to understand how they can get involved at an activist level. And it was a wonderful energy in the room, wasn't it? And I think, again, that's a transformation from a few years ago when we do a similar talk, that there was everyone's kind of hands were open, like we want to do something. Yeah. So there is that energy growing. And I know we've seen that in the past and started away. And I suppose what we all want is, and, you know, obviously, as you get older and you're doing activism all your life, you want the younger people to get involved, but all of us to stay involved as well and to build it to that tipping point. And I hoped, I really hope that we are getting closer to that tipping point. And the tax is a step in that direction. But of course, we will always argue for more I mean, other measures that will support that. And I'm sure you discussed those in your book, you know, um, because I'm not sure what you talk about in terms of vacancy, Rory, in your book. Uh, is it something you look into in the vacant tax and stuff? Because we will well, Yeah, in terms of the book, what I write about is essentially the, you know, showing the scale of it from the census, the most recent census, and obviously the geodirectory, you know, figures, but also kind of explaining the difference between vacancy and dereliction. Um, and also talking about the link with climate change, but the ways in which, you know, the ways in which I think, you know, I put forward ideas around addressing it is that, you know, essentially, and it's something, you know, you've talked about, for me, there's a number of things that need to be done. The vacant property tax needs to be of sufficient value that it actually forces people to sell, essentially, or use it, that if it's left at a level, which it currently is, that it's likely not to have a huge impact. Um, and the other issue is that I also think that, you know, the, the grant for people to be able to do up their property um, is a positive thing. But again, if you can't buy the property or if the property is not for sale, then that's an issue. Um, and I make the argument that we need a state construction company that would be and, and local authorities to be like given a massive budget to go CPO property and get young people, people who want to involved. You know, buy the buy the property, sell it to them. That that's what we do. You know that it's a massive state intervention. Well, absolutely. Look, I mean, as we've spoken about before, Jude and I took over property in Cork. It's it's two hundred years old. Uh, been working on it again recently. Stop start, but it's you know someone in their twenties getting a chance to take over like this property. Like I said, needs a lot of or thirties or forties. Yeah. yeah, but but like to just to be like I said, you can't buy them. Like that's the thing. We yeah. were we were lucky. This was quite cheap at the time. We were able to buy it straight out. It was only hundred and ten thousand. But reality, like we were lucky, because no one else wanted it. But most times you can't get a mortgage if it's a derelict property. It's impossible to get a mortgage. Uh, and like I said, they're not for sale or for or for rent anyway. Yeah, and that's was that's why we're keen on. We've been pushing for a while this kind of message. Like I said, most sustainable is existing, but also that we need a vacancy. Or, sorry, we need to look at compulsory sales and yes. rental in parallel with compulsory purchase. And I think for us, compulsory sales is ideal for dereliction and compulsory rental is ideal for vacancy. And we can see how they would work really well in parallel with the vacancy tax. You know, it's almost like, well, you either pay your tax or else you're willing to to get it out to be. Uh, yes. and, and Jude, how would they work, a compulsory, both the compulsory sales and um, the compulsory rental? So the compulsory rental, um, it's not in many places in Barcelona and Amsterdam have a model of it at the moment, where if a property is empty for longer than six months, you, the owner has to report it. In Amsterdam, the owner has to report it. And if they don't, they can be fined nine grand if they don't report an empty property after six months. Right. And then if it's still empty after a year, 
the council can actually put a tenant. So the Gemente, um, the Amsterdam authorities can actually put a tenant in that property. Yeah. So and, and does about, that happen? I'm not too sure in the figures. I haven't seen the figures of. Um, but it does I, happen. They do. The, the reporting happens, and yeah. um, the the fines do happen. Mm. So recently, uh, squatters in the Netherlands um, overtook a number of buildings in Amsterdam that were owned by I think Blackwater or Blackstone. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Between all the investment funds, <laughs> but Blackstone, Vampire One, Vampire yeah. Two, Vampire what they, Three, whatever. What they found, yeah, was that they actually had nearly three hundred and eighty properties. I, I just want to make a point: Blackwater is, is a mercenary army, and we have no affiliations with Blackwater. <laughs> <laughs> Blackstone, on the other hand, have Tony on the payroll. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, what that if explains, only says Tony. Yeah. If only, yeah, if only. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so like it's what that exposed was all the the amount of derelict properties that they were purposely keeping off the market to keep rents high. Um, yeah, yeah. So the the mm. local authorities and are, are definitely on the reporting side now. How many mm. tenants have been placed in properties? I'm not too sure, but I do know when it comes to Airbnb regulations um, and other uh, other uh, property regulations in the Netherlands, they are very strict on enforcement. Yeah, yeah. And what's the difference in Airbnb regulations between there and here? Do you know? Um, I'm not too sure on the up-to-date ones, but when we were actually Airbnb hosts in, in Amsterdam, we, we let out our room and stuff, a spare room. Um, I know at the time you had to, when we left, you had to start then register with the council that it was um, registered. You could only do 30 or 60 days a year and you couldn't have more than four mm. people. But what they were actually doing was sending mystery shoppers around, to air, making Airbnb bookings, sending people around to them and then bringing the owners to court. And they done that. They did do that in the center of Amsterdam. Quite a number of of management companies. They brought them to court and find them. Find them. the Irish local councils doing that. Well, they should be. They yeah, should be. Absolutely. Well, we do yeah. have the, like Airbnb laws or short term let laws. We do have the laws like the Derelict Sites Act that again yeah. not being enforced. Yeah. Which which is something we'll come on and talk about in the question of resourcing as well, and and the the fact that we will talk a little bit about that if we can, because I know people are very interested in. You know, why is that dereliction um the derelict, you know, there is fines that can be put in place, why they're not be, but just on the so the compulsory rental, which you which you explained there, that um essentially if a property is vacant for more than six months, that that needs to be reported. And if it's vacant after 12 months, that it can be taken over by the local authority and tenants put in there. That is that that would be very, very powerful in Ireland when we think that. I don't know the figures because in the sense the fascinating figures in the census were that was there 30,000 or 40,000 that had been vacant in the previous census in 2016 that were vacant again? Yeah, about 48,000. 48,000, you're then, right. And there was about 22,000 that had been vacant for 11 years. For, since 2011 census, correct. So slightly longer than a year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ever so slightly. Yeah. Which uh, is crazy yeah. when you think of it. I it's mean, just, it's utterly just... And of course, yeah, sorry. And the compulsory, I just want to finish on this one because it is important that, that we see, you know, what can be done. The compulsory sales order then. Yeah. So just a note on the compulsory rental order, the owners actually still own the property. Yes. Just yeah. it's used. So you don't change yeah. the ownership. But then yeah. compulsory sales order, how that works in um, Scotland, for instance, is that community groups and community organizations can get together. And if there's vacant properties in their areas, they can actually then force a sale to them on that. So they have to go to the local authorities with a plan, with funding and with a plan in place for the building. And then they can force the owner to actually sell it to them. 
And um, so it's not on an individual mm. buying it, but it's to a community benefit. That's okay. Cool. That's so very that, interesting. So then that that would work very well in town centers where there's a lot, especially for commercial or mm. kind of warehouses, buildings that are left vacant. Yeah. Yeah, because in terms of that scale of dereliction of, of commercial buildings, we know the geodirectory said there was 20 odd thousand, I think, commercial and 20 odd thousand um, residential derelict. Would you agree with those figures or do you think it's more? Or do you know, has well, anybody done it? I haven't seen any other analysis on, on dereliction. No, numbers. we haven't got any other figures on derelict homes, so it's really impossible to tell. Yeah, I will say is that not all derelict properties have a air code. So okay. there are many in Cork City that don't have air codes on long-term derelict properties. So they might have been inhabitable mm. by the time they got an air code, but after since then they probably have gone into decline. Mm. So whether one's pre- likely a lot don't have air codes. There could be quite a lot without air okay, codes. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even when you look at the figures um between the local property tax census data and geodirectory they all have different figures on how many homes there are actually in mm. ireland so even the consensus on how many homes they're all different but when it comes to commercial i mean that's so that yeah i think it's around 20 something thousand mm. uh, your directory have and that's about 13 percent of vacancy in our in our commercial buildings the normal rate is around five percent so yeah. it's quite mm. high than what's normal yeah and how accurate those figures are I can only assume they're somewhat accurate. Yeah. My understanding is that they're probably more in offices and uh, retail spaces. Um, like in Cork City, mm. 19% of the offices in Cork City Centre are empty, which is a crazy figure, especially. 19%, we're, yeah. yeah. And we're building new offices and there's huge amounts of <laughs> with planning yeah. on them. It makes yeah. very little sense. Well, moment. I mean, there's been some sites which originally were for, for apartments, which have now changed to offices. Because apartments aren't deemed to be viable to build anymore in Cork, which again is very hard to understand. You know that you can't afford. Yeah. It's not viable to build an apartment. It makes when sense. When we we yeah no it did definitely. When we done our study in Cork of the seven, we found about seven hundred derelict and long term vacant properties, and very long term, as and they looked really empty for a long yeah. time. Properties within two kilometers of Cork City Centre. What we found was about half of them were homes and about half of them were retail or commercial buildings of some yeah. sort, offices, warehouses. So for us, it was about half and half. So, but yeah, so I, I would expect that would be a bit more reflective of the commercial as well. Like as well and, yeah, and there, there was some estimates at some stage where it was released about 10,000 derelict property sites and, and, Whatever else in Cork, in County Cork, in count the whole county, yeah, including yeah. the city. So that was ten thousand in all of Cork alone. So, like when we were chatting beforehand before we came on the podcast here, again, it's I always get very confused with all the data. Now Jude goes into detail, and I tend yeah. to pick it up. But there's so much conflicting data, and that's been the ongoing issue since we've come back. Is like you know all the different data sources, and none of them match up. And yeah, I suppose again, it's like they don't want to know exactly. <laughs> I mean, but it is, yeah. And you've got so many different, like, I suppose, surveys and stuff. And we, because I was trying to, I suppose, I was asking Jude a lot of questions before we came on here, trying to go into detail on the data. And you get very confused. Like, so, so go back to the vacant homes tax. Yeah. Which data are they going to use for collecting this vacant homes tax? Is, is it self assessment? Self-assessment, exactly. And uh, and we don't know. Do It hasn't publicly been made known how many revenue 
in the revenue report was because there was an initial report done of how much vacant properties there were and we don't know how many came back in that revenue haven't released that figure have they they have they said about 57,000 oh did they okay i didn't see yeah. this. they've said 57,000 yeah so of this tax how many of those 57,000 do we think will be actually paying the tax or liable for the tax so based on the exemptions that they've listed in the budget I've estimated about 30,000 should be liable for the tax based on revenues survey. But okay. that's based on the exemptions that they've described, but we both think other exemptions will come in as well. So it reduces the stock significantly more. Possibly to 10,000. But it's it's important to note that survey. So everyone who owns a prop home last November had to fill out a survey for their local property tax. And as part of that survey, there was a question, was the property vacant yes. on the 4th of November? Yeah. And then was it, if it was vacant on that night, was it vacant for the previous six months or the previous year? And then yeah. they asked reasons why. Um, so, but it's it's not about 22% of people of homeowners didn't fill out that survey either. So it's not comprehensive in itself, even though it's self-reporting anyway. And there's no way of, of checking how accurate it this self-reporting was not everyone filled it out. So twenty-two percent of homeowners didn't fill out whether they had a vacant property or not. Exactly. Yeah. Oh and no, just didn't fill out the the local property survey. They didn't update their local property tax information at all. Okay. Even the value of their property, they didn't update at all. Okay. Okay. So straight away, they're out the mix, and then if you look at the ones that are left. And the exemptions that that have been given again, there's a discrepancy. But what what was there any penalty for not declaring? No, no. So, so we were kind of, yeah. Then I'm not sure what happened to those twenty plus percent. No, but even in terms of the vacant property, there's no penalty no. for no. not declaring. And uh, there's no uh, there's no information of whether they'd done any spot checks to make sure that, say, if a property came up in geo directory year code, did they yeah. make sure mm. that the people actually. Uh, report on those properties because if geo directory is around 90 just say and if yeah yeah so it was around 160 170 and this revenue one is coming in around 57 60 and yeah it's just a of, huge discrepancy oh there are huge differences and again the way that it's and it is, isn't it interesting that the self-declared one is the lowest is that not farcical though like if if there's no well, penalty well, Why what, would you declare it? Well, what surprised me related to that as well was that, and because Jude went into the detail, was when I'm feeding back to me was that I was surprised that they already went out and stated, but then you said it was a budget reason, they stated that they plan to raise or hope to raise three to four million. By stating that, okay, it's budget theft, they probably put the numbers out there. They've already reduced the number of properties they're picking up tax on to an expectation of what you worked out around 4,000 homes. Yes. Yeah, really? So, Based on that, that? That's. Yeah. So if you base this is this is pure assumptions now, but if yeah. you base it on the it's three times that the vacant homes tax will be three times the local property tax. So in effect, it will be a point zero point three percent tax on the value. zero point three percent tax. Yeah, yeah. On the value of the property. OK. Which is, which is significantly lower than the promised three percent that was discussed before the budget. Yeah. Um, but. So if we take that, take an average price of a property in Ireland is around 310, 320, you know, around that mark at the moment, the average price. Yeah. And the average um expected 
fake his home's tax based on that. This is all just averages. Yeah. 940 euros for a vacant home. An average yeah. vacant home in Ireland, they if it would pay 940 euro, 45 euros on the vacant home's tax. So if you divide that into the three to four million, you're yeah. looking at 4,000 homes. Wow, that's interesting. Yes, so they're setting their their heights, re, set their sights really high from the outset, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's like which four thousand homes wouldn't be an issue if they had a massive tax on it. So in France, their tax rates are twelve percent for the first year. You have to pay a twelve percent tax, and then the years after that, second year forward, you have to pay twenty five percent on the value of the property in France on any vacant property. And there now, France will have a much lower definition of what vacant is, and um, so they that tax won't apply to as many properties. So okay. there's two options with a vacant homes. You can either tax a small number of houses, a lot of money mm. in, in really urgent or places that need homes urgently and get them back into the market. Mm. Or you can prop tax a load of properties, a small amount. And this is more what Canada does, areas of Canada. They and do we find an Irish way you can tax a smaller number of properties, a really small amount? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. as a stepping stone, we can see how it, how the first year goes, and then hopefully their their ambitions will get a bit higher after that. Yeah, but it's interesting that they went for that low ambition. I think it's interesting, and the fact they stated, you know, really, and you worked it out quite quickly what that means. And so where where did the fifty seven thousand homes go to? I make it to thirty thousand left over after exemptions, you know. Where did all these homes suddenly disappear? You know, mm-hmm. and, 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 and a thousand like close to a thousand euro. Um, on a vacant home is not insignificant. You know, no. if, if the value is 300,000, 350,000, that's not insignificant. That If that was applied across the board, and I, again, my understanding was revenue were like, yeah, that, that whole question is, are, are revenue implementing this in a serious way? You know, everyone says revenue, you know, they implement everything in a serious way and they would be doing spot checks. So you would assume they would be doing the same with this. You would hope so. What data sets they use and how they physically go out and check these. And, and is there any is there any penalty put in place for not applying for it, or is it like your it falls under revenue if you don't follow your tax, you know, general tax issue? It, it goes under that. You know, what penalties are in place from revenue? Yeah, I think it will go under that. Um, and also but, with the exemptions, if you look through the exemptions that have been stated so far. It's very easy to fall under the exemptions, you know. I mean, first thing is, yeah, like the 30 days is the first thing. I mean, so it's yeah. only considered vacant if it hasn't been, if it's been used in the le- last year for less than 30 days. So all you need to do is use it for 31 days and you no longer have to pay the tax. Yeah. So how, how so that's how, how, you, how you can prove it? Yes, how, that's what I was wondering. What do you say? Oh, yeah, I was living in it for. Yeah. You yeah, know, that's, 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 my son goes down there every weekend and he spends two days there. Yeah. That's whatever. That's 100 days. It, you know, yeah, it's yeah. very hard to, you go into this crazy discussion. Was I there? Were they there? My neighbor saw me going in and out, uh, unless they have utilities, but then you could put on a timer. The light comes on anyway. And also, if you do your self reporting, they're due around October, November time. You have to think back to the last year, and especially if you have a holiday home, you go, okay, last year in 2021. Did I use my holiday home 29 days, 31 days? Yeah. So it's it gets quite, will get quite complicated where the international norms are more along the lines of six months or a year period. And if after that year period, you have to report it. 
um, or they have different registration systems for properties anyway. Yeah. So they they track who actually lives in a property and that's their primary residence. And if you don't, if you own other property, it's it's either rented out or, or classified as a, as a uh, holiday home, for instance. It comes back to that question of the property register for Ireland as well, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Totally, totally. Because if you had a really good property register and really good starting data, surely everything you introduce would be relatively easy yeah. to I mean, how would this stand stack up legally? I mean, if this went into a legal situation, okay, it's your house, Rory, you're not paying the vacant tax, what do they do? Come at you really heavy-handedly, put a whole legal team into it? I mean, you like you can put up a for sale sign, you can say you've got new renovations. There's so many exemptions. Yeah. Know? Probably every house in Ireland, if we're honest, would probably need some renovation work a lot of time anyway. So yeah. it's yeah. hard to see how they I mean. If they, if they struggle, which they do, and I know some of this is cultural, enforcing the dereliction laws, they're really going to struggle enforcing the, enforcing the vacant homes tax because it's a way more complex to, to get around. Yeah. And, and yeah, it, it, it starts to move into the question of, um, yeah, it, it's like tokenism, as you make the point, you know, when you're talking about in, in your the examiner article, you know, it's kind of tokenism rather than actually really tackling it. It feels that way. Yeah. I mean, it definitely feels that way. Like I said, we, the positives, like I said, it's, it's, it's yeah. there. But, you know, for me, it's the low. Like when you explained it to me, I was like, I couldn't get my head around it. The low ambition, like you yeah. just said earlier, I just couldn't figure. And the fact then when when you went through all the exemptions, I was like, well, what, what is it? Yeah, I can see what is going Yeah, I think it, it, it's really important. This analysis then is really important, you know, to provide this analysis to people to show that, okay, this is a positive step. But look, if we actually want an effective one, how effective is is it actually going to be in tackling vacancy? Um, and the question then of dereliction that we still have the issue that, you know, local authorities aren't registering sites. They're not implementing fines and they still don't have the capacity. Like what, what was the extension of their capacity? It was like from a, a half-time worker to a full-time worker. Yeah. 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 And even half the councils don't even have that full-time worker. Still. Yeah. And and the Department of Housing only has one full-time person in the vacant homes unit. So it, one even, full-time person in the Department of Housing on the, in the vacant homes unit. Yeah, and so and like a lot of councils haven't got a person working vacancy. So you're working, you're working with the councils, aren't you? You do a lot of liaison with the councils, or um, trying to work with them to nudge them and help them along and hold their hand, and probably nudging more than working with them. So yeah, I mean, we wouldn't really have be working with the councils per se, but I suppose um, we would be definitely highlighting stuff. And uh, but it would, in terms of that capacity issue, they must be surely highlighting that that look, this isn't our fault. We're doing our best, but I uh, no. definitely, definitely. And, like, Irish councils or local authorities here are the least funded and least have the least autonomy of any uh, councils across Europe. So they definitely don't have the resources. But the issue with the derelict sites, not so much with the vacancy here, but the derelict sites act is that actually Which, uh, and derelict sites does cover derelict buildings as well. That's important, it isn't does, it? Yeah. It, does, it does. Yeah, yeah, so it does. yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, but that actually can generate revenue for the councils, which they can reinvest. So, for instance, in Cork City, they they uh, got in five hundred thousand last year, so half a million extra, and our budget is about two and a half million in in uh, in deficit. So that's that's significantly contributed. Yeah to the budget mm. but it also can be reinvested back into the city either through hiring more staff 
to go out and take the mm. tackle their election um, a lot more aggressively and a lot more realistically reflecting what's actually there. So there, there is, I think with the, the dereliction, there is potential. Yes, it does need uh, a, an investment in a team in the first place, but that investment can actually pay for itself and probably bring in more revenue and, and uh, improve the towns and cities as well. Mm. Well, if you think when we started, they had about 95 on the derelict list. Yeah. And we found, and that was a much wider reach. They were going all out to the city, out into the wider city surrounds. We stayed within two kilometres radius and we found 700 plus now at the time you worked it out if they collected the seven percent for those 700 it was multi-million pound difference it could have transformed the city if the money was reinvested back in so they are losing out by that okay they're low in staff resources we know that we know there are genuine people walking there who want to change people have been in touch over they definitely want changes to happen yeah but there is also the strong point that gets me again is that cultural resistance within the local authorities to tackle the owners, to deal. It's the, the, the language is always the poor owner. I mean, how many times have we heard about the poor owners, which has been totally mind blowing from my point of view? Yeah. That, I, that I should feel sorry for someone who's sitting on four or five derelict properties in the city because they can't afford to do them up at the moment. I should feel sorry for them. And I think so you're saying that. to me, a senior local authority official. It working in house or working in this area or being responsible for this area in the broadest level of, of responsibility said to you, what about the poor owners? That's come up a few times. Yeah. yeah. We can't really tackle this because the poor owners, what poor owners, yeah, yeah. As in what would they do? Yeah, it's like it was kind of, there is a kind of a kind of a rhetoric around it that goes like something like, Well, you know, you know, you have this kind of we should feel sorry for them. And if you were in the same position as them, you know, I mean would be I mean, So this is actually like Councils are not tackling this because they have a feeling that ah, it's a bit harsh on the owners. I think that's, that's a big. That's element. definitely strong messages yeah. that's come true. There's been a quote that I particularly like, where um, from one of the senior executives in Cork, that it's it's too much to put it on the owner of a derelict building be, to add to their day to day lives. To add a derelict, uh, to put it on the derelict, ah, here. add a tax mm. onto it. It's too much to to put them through. Yeah, I ah, hear. So, so <laughs> you got, yeah, you got the cultural challenge. Challenge. This is the cultural element, and you got yeah. the resource challenge as well. But, but what I suppose the bit that I suppose also annoys me particularly is that if there's no enforcement of a law, what kind of message does that send out in society? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's not a very good message no. to send out. And I think with the Fakens Homes Tax and the Derelict Sites Act, you don't necessarily need to tackle all owners with it as. As such, you need to send a strong yes, absolutely it's no longer acceptable. Yeah, I think yeah. you won't end up taxing all the properties, but what you will do if you tax enough at the start and make a strong enough message, you will send a message that this is no longer uh, acceptable. Absolutely, and especially because vacancy is the gateway to dereliction. If you leave a building en- empty for long enough, it will go derelict. It goes derelict, yeah. And so, if we can send a strong enough message that it, then the enforcement side will reduce over because it will be self-enforcing because people will know it's no longer acceptable, which mm. is much more in line with other European countries that have enforced these laws. It still happens, and they go after it, but their figures are way lower than what we have here. Yeah, and I yeah. suppose what well, we are one of the concerns we have with the vacant home tax, the way it is the moment with exemptions, is that it could lead to more their election. Because yeah, you made that point. Explain yeah. that. 
Yeah, well, we were talking about it earlier, again, and it was just like you could kind of go and take a slate off the roof and go, well, actually, my house needs a bit of work done on it. You, know, you, you, could, yeah. you could make a house that's pretty much habitable at the moment, unhabitable, by making a few small tweaks to avoid your vacancy tax because you know that they won't enforce the dereliction tax. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of, so it's literally, you know, a house that could go on the market straight away. It could be rented. But, I mean, everyone's going to want to make a few small changes. That's just natural. Someone moves into a house, they'll make a few changes. But a house that's habitable could be made uninhabitable to avoid the vacant home tax. Yeah. And that's a big concern as well. And yeah, and it also, sorry, Judy, yeah. Just to say that owners of derelict or uninhabitable houses already are exempt from the local property tax. So owners of uninhabitable houses may end up paying no tax on their property at all. Mm. So they and of course, you know, the issue is because you think about like I think, Jace, it's a lot of effort to go to <laughs> to make you know, to avoid a little tax. And if you own property, why would you be bothered? Like, you know, and, and mm. then you go, you know, obviously, mm. if you own multiple properties and I was struck by um the doll, the, the landlords, uh, Robert Troy and the others in the doll, you know, who didn't register their properties for the RTB number one, which was an utter, utter disgrace um, because they're supposed to be leading by example. But the other thing was pointed out by the journal that there was some who weren't declaring income and it wasn't clear why. But then I was thinking, well, should they're probably not, they're not renting them out. They could very well be leaving them vacant. And you think that because, yeah. like, you know, I don't own, I own my own home. That's it, you know. And you think like, if yeah. you're owning multiple properties, you think you like you'd be working them, but then you think, well, sure, if they've no need, that's the but problem. That's it. But that's, just, yeah, yeah, that's look, a good like, point. And we'd be the same. We, we, think. we know people who own other properties and they rent them out, but they rent them out because they need to rent them out. Yeah. You either pay mortgages off them or pay mm. loans off them. Yeah. To be able to own a property and not to have to use it, to be able to sit on that wealth asset, that's a wealth that most of us can't mm. even imagine. Imagine. Yeah, but but there are people like that, and this is like, and that's I think also it's hard for other you know to get our head around it that you know you just go like thirty thousand you know vacant or thirty seven thousand vacant rentals, and you're going, why are they not just renting them? They're, the money they would be making off it, you know, because they don't have to. And this is the illogicality of the market. Of hmm. the easiest thing is to do nothing. Is the yeah. thing to yeah. if you can afford to have a property empty, the easiest thing is to do nothing with it. Yeah. 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 Well, listen, Frank, Jude, we're going to have to finish, but we will get you back again. Um, and it is so important in terms of that analysis. And I really, really um, thank you for the work you're doing on it and the analysis. It's absolutely essential um, and bringing it forward. And um, I know Tony wants to. Hang on, before you, before, no, before you, yeah, I just want to say, I want to say, we, we mentioned in the, in the last podcast we did about change makers. Yeah, but people have made a difference. Frank and Jude have absolutely made a difference to how this is managed in this country, how it's looked yeah. upon, and that's true. And and that's where we talk about ground up as a as opposed to top down. And and then I got to do a plug, and they haven't asked me to, but anish.org. So it's a n o i s dot org. That is the place for design, which which actually values sustainability, social justice, and equality. That's what they want. That's what they want to do, folks. So if you can, please check out the work they do, and, and if you're interested, also. The Gaffs for All petition has within it a specific demand on dereliction and vacancy. It does indeed. And Absolutely. tackling that if people can go over to the Uplift petition. So, so um, and the hashtag derelict Ireland as well. Please drop the photos. Keep that going. I think thanks, and, and yeah. thank you both for having us on and for all the work you're doing as well. And I, and I want to say to you, Rory, particularly, it's great to have an academic. And I know you're not just an academic, but it's brilliant to have an academic speaking out in Ireland. 
we need a lot more people like you to to, to do that. And that's one of the things that's disappointed since we came back. And so we really think it's amazing that you're willing to speak up and and, and get your voice out there. And likewise with Tony with the with, with all. Ah, uh, listen, I don't want to hear it. I just I want to plug. This is mute. No more mutual appreciation. Well done, guys. <laughs> uh, genuinely, you are you are. Change and listen, I have to get down to Cork to do a launch of the book as well. Great, Absolutely nice one, guys. Well, yeah. thanks so much for having on, guys, and yeah. good luck. We'll talk to you soon. Talk right. to you soon. Thank you so right. much. Thanks. Frank and Jude there. And as Tony said, you can check out um, the Anisha agency, the work they're doing. Also, hashtag Derelict Ireland. Um, and as well, in terms of that petition, it's my uplift uh, forward slash um, gaffs for all. And as always, please, if you can, become a patron of Tortoise Shack. Um, it produces these podcasts, Reboot Republic. Without it, without Tony and the work, we would not be here putting out these really, really important podcasts. Um, and yeah, please go over to patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. Help us out and share around the podcast as well. A few people have been doing that. It's been lovely to see. Um, and we've, you know, the, the last few podcasts we've been doing on the budget, great reaction to them um, across the board and really thank Michael, uh, Patricia, um, Ona Bryn. We had Hugh, um, Hugh Brennan from O'Cool on some great podcasts to listen back over to. And of course, the one with uh, myself and Tony chatting about my new book, Gaffs, which is out now. You can get. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you all soon. Bye.